Amen. That was tremendous. I tell you what, uh, all that they went to to get that up together, put all those things out there. Now we know who can lay carpet. <laughs> all right. And uh, our text today is Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. You may want to put your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be there for a while too, but Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12 is our text. And thank you. I tell you, that choir special, I thought maybe we ought to give an invitation when that thing was over. That was tremendous. And then uh, that, that special there, uh, Andy walks with me and Andy talks with me, okay? But uh, I don't think that's the way it quite came out, but uh, great, great. All right. The title of this sermon is Eternal Contrast. Uh, we preached the first part of it last Sunday evening, and then, of course, we're going to preach this one here today. Uh, you know, you think it's, some things are, are a contrast that are not good. For an example, uh, there's the husband that remarked to his wife, Honey, you just stick to the washing, the ironing, the cooking, and the scrubbing. No wife of mine is going to work. He gets out of the hospital Thursday. Okay, Romans chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now just think about that. As I live, he lives forever forever. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We all will give account unto God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word this morning. I pray that you'd make it clear and understandable for everyone today. I pray that Spirit would do what I can't do, and that is to give understanding, to convict, and to bring to salvation those that may be without Christ. Strengthen the brethren, especially glorify your name this day in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So I said last Sunday night we preached this first part of this sermon of uh, eternal contrast. And you can hear that on our website. If you go to the website at centralbaptistocala.org or our sermonaudio.com right slash centralbaptist site, you can go to it. But we considered the contrast of eternal life and eternal damnation. We saw that the way of eternal life is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. There's no other way. And it was by His death burial, and resurrection that the work of our salvation is completed. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> our salvation, every sin <clears throat> I ever have or ever will commit, has been not only judged completely, it's been paid for completely in the person of Jesus Christ through His shed blood and resurrection. He did that for me. He did that for you. He did that for each of us. My part and everyone's part that would have the salvation that he provides is repentance and faith. Those are not works, by the way. But those are things that when you repent and believe, it'll lead you to work for the Lord. It really will. And he'll do a work in you that will be outstanding. 
Now, there are two things I want to point out from the last uh, sermon, from the sermon last Sunday night. First, a contrast is something that is strikingly different from other things or uh, the other thing that it's been compared to when they're set side by side. Again, a contrast is something that is strikingly different from the other when the two are placed side by side. Now, when I stand beside a bodybuilder and I begin to flex, he begins to wilt and die out of pity for me, okay? (laughs) Well, eternal life and eternal damnation are strikingly different when they're placed side by side. The second thing that I want you to take from last Sunday service is that we were all created in God's image and God is a spirit. We are created in that spirit's image. We are spirits that have a soul and a body, not a body with a soul and a spirit, okay? It's the spirit that will live forever. That's what we are. We are spirits with a soul and a body. We know that the word death has, in most people's mind, a ceasing to exist. But that's not what the word ever meant. The word means separation. At death, that very spirit that's inside of you separates from this body. It continues to exist. The one who is saved, his spirit will go to be with the Lord. It's a great thing. It's called life. And we're told that it is far better to be with the Lord. Far better, not just better, far better to be the Lord than even if we could live this entire life on earth and have the best of everything. It is far better to be with the Lord. The opposite of that, of course, is death. That spirit is separated from God forever in the eternal lake of fire. And that spirit will never cease to exist. to be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's why it's called death. It's separated from God. But you certainly cannot call it life. Even though the spirit exists with complete knowledge and understanding. This morning, I want us to look at the eternal contrast in judgments. Now, the Bible speaks of different judgments. For example, there's the judgment on sin that took place on the cross. There are other judgments that are listed in the Bible. For example, the judgment of nations at the end of the tribulation period. And and we can talk of the various judgments of the Bible, but I'm just going to hone in on two of them because they're individual judgments. We're going to talk about, first, the judgment seat of Christ. And only the saved people will be there. Only saved people. Then we're going to look at the white throne judgment, and only unsaved people are going to be there. But what a contrast the two judgments are, and yet they have one thing in common. In both judgments, the person at the judgment seat of Christ is going to heaven, that's settled, and the person at the white throne judgment is going to that eternal lake of fire, that's also settled. So why have the judgment? Because it's going to determine the degree of reward if you're going to heaven or the degree of punishment 
if you're going to that eternal lake of fire. So let's look first at the judgment seat of Christ as it's shown to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. And there we read this. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now he that lives forever, that's the final judge, that's the one that you want to be accepted by. Not what this world or what men say or who men are. You want to be accepted by the judge of the universe. And in verse 10 he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. This judgment seat, as we said, is for all who are saved. It's already determined you're going to heaven. I mean, uh, you're going to be there with the Lord. However, it's also a time when you're either going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Or, you're going to hear, saved so as by fire. And be ashamed. But you'll notice the one that hears well done. He says good and faithful servant. When God says something's good in this respect. He's talking about reliable. Reliable. I could trust that man. I could trust that woman. That no matter what the circumstances are of their life. No matter what they're going through physically. Or in other issues of life. I can trust them to stay true to the word. I can trust them to do right. And you see, that's the idea of a faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in few things. <clears throat> and unfortunately, I think that's the truth for all of us, few things. Sometimes that's all he gives us, are few things. But then he goes on to say that, I will make thee ruler over many things. Do you see the difference? Servant, faithful. Faithful is servant. Ruler, king, ruling with him. He's made us to be kings and priests, Revelation chapter 1 tells us, to rule with him. And oh, what a great thing that that will be, ruling and reigning over many things with Jesus Christ. However, 1 John 2.28 points out that some will be ashamed at his appearing, and some will have confidence. When we think of ashamed, I think of two things. There are many more, but I just want to point out two. I think of the parable in which Jesus told, he says, Take from him that hath the one, and give to him that hath the ten. The Lord had given three different ones, he tells us, one talent, one pound, and, and, and they took that pound, that talent, they, they took it, and, and one made five out of it. Another made ten. When the Lord called the men for an accounting, the one that had five, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, be thou over five cities. You increase that one to five, I'm going to put you over five cities, ruling and reigning with Christ. 
the one that the other one had made ten, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities. Wow. The, the other one that had one said, Lord, uh, man, I knew that you're austere man. I, I know how you are. And so I just buried my talent in the ground. Didn't do anything with it. Just buried it. Hid it away. Was not used at all. Kind of like the, the 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal, but they also didn't do anything. And the Lord says, take from him that hath the one and give it to him that hath the ten. In other words, if he would have just been faithful with that one thing and it hadn't been developed, but at least he was faithful and worked at it, God would have made him over one city. Instead now, he is saved so as by fire. And that one is given to the ten, the guy that worked it and was faithful and did the, the ministry as it ought to be done. I believe that those that sit back as critics and don't do the job are going to be those with the one. I've seen too many people run down churches, Sunday school teachers, music preachers, and everything else. I've seen them run them down, but I've never seen them bring a soul down the aisle. Uh, you don't see them at a visitation. And so what I'm just saying is, is that uh, it sounds like, well, preacher, are you getting on our case? No, I'm only delivering the word of God. But I am warning you that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account. The other thing that I think is very important that is not fulfilling our call is to be a witness. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 8 through 10, it talks about blood on the hand. And people say, what does that mean, their blood on my hand? He had said in there, you, you were supposed to witness to this person. You did not witness to them. You did not try to bring them to Christ. You, you wouldn't even give them one of the tracts to come to church. You wouldn't give them a tract to read. You wouldn't invite them to church to hear the gospel. You wouldn't do that. He says, their blood's going to be on your hand. You say, well, what does that mean? I believe that whereas we are not judged as saved people at the white throne, I think that we are there to see the white throne. And as this person is about to be cast to the eternal lake of fire, he sees your face. And he, sees, he says, why? And you see the hate and the discouragement on that person's face. That's why I believe Revelation chapter 21, after everybody that is cast into the lake of fire is cast into the lake of fire, then it says, God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. Now, I've had people say, Pastor, you should not put that on anyone. You shouldn't say, you shouldn't do that to anybody. That, that, that's tough. No, I'm not doing it to anybody. This is God's word. It's what God's word says. Now, you either believe it and you act upon it, or you reject it, and you suffer the consequences of it. I remember Dr. Bob Gray was here uh, with us this past January. He's going to begin this coming January. But he didn't call it soul winning. He called it soul warning. We warn people. We can't save them. Only Jesus saves. But we deliver the gospel to them that will save them. 
So we are warning them because there's a choice between heaven or hell. It's one of the way, but they make the choice. We just warn them of what's coming. And so he that warns shall shine as the stars forever. He'll have crowns. He'll rule and he'll reign. Those who don't are saved so as by fire. No crowns. Now that tells me something. James 1.12 talked about a crown of life for those that endure trials, temptations, the tribulations of this life. And he said, for all those who love his appearing. You show your love for the appearing of Jesus Christ by remaining faithful regardless of what your trial is. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. The fight is the Lord's fight. It's the, that of sound doctrine, of, of, of righteousness and true holiness. He stayed with it. The world didn't take him away from it. The, the modern religious movements of the day did not take him from the truth of the word of God. He finished the course. Too many people feel that they are called, and they said they've been called. But the moment they're opposed and problems hit their lives, they quit. They leave. They go somewhere else. They don't finish the job. They blame others and try to use some kind of a spiritual-sounding argument to make it justified. It may justify it in their minds, but it won't justify it with him with whom we have to do. Let's always be sure of the stand that we're to take before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keeping the faith, you don't change it for the culture. You don't change it for family. You don't change it for your vocation. Uh, the doctrine, it still should be the same as it was 2,000 years ago. It should be the same as it was 50 years ago. When I have people come up to me and say, well, Pastor, yes, I'm going over there now, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's got that. I don't like that kind of music, or I don't like the Bible version. They, they say, but I'm still the same. No, you're not. That's a lie. How can you go and be a part of that and be sound doctrine? That's a lie. Now, you may have convinced yourself, but you've only deceived yourself. Now, looking here at verses five, uh, 9 through 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That I may be accepted of him. Why? Because he is the judge. He's the one that sees the heart. He paid for the sins of this body of mine. And he tries to warn me of the lost rewards if I'm not faithful. He mentions here in verse 10 of, of, of the things done in our body, whether they be good or bad. Some things are good. Some things are bad. You know, those things that are bad are still sin, but the sin's been paid for. However, because the sin is still in our body, after our salvation, the things that we do, they're going to count towards loss of reward. Especially things such as you could have witnessed and you did not. And so he said in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 
Look, God's going to cast them into an eternal lake of fire. They know the terror of the Lord. They want to persuade men. They don't want anybody going to that lake of fire. They're, they're going to try to bring them to Jesus Christ. It's very important to God that we witness. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says that he would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When he said all men, he meant all men. All men. All men. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But oh, the terror of the Lord when men reject that. And so you go on to verse 11. He says, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also made manifest in your consciences. Have it right. So that you know that it's manifest to God because he sees it all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. He says, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Those things you have hidden and nobody knows. And make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. I think that those hidden things of the heart, the counsels that are there, the things of darkness, how can we have praise of God? Because we're going to see just how great His mercy is and how it was in our life. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. You see, God is a spirit. In this human flesh, we don't see spirits. But he's here. He's here. And he sees. He even sees your thought process. He sees your heart. He sees it all. That's truth whether we like it or not. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of, of the soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight? But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He don't fool God and you don't hide anything from him. And every one of us will give an account of himself unto God as Christians. Christians, ours is to be ready, getting in the Word, getting to know Him all the more, getting to know His Word, to know His person. Get in the Word. Know His will. Know His way. Know His commands. And live obediently. That you might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord with the spirits. You can justify yourself, but you better know the word of God to see what God justifies. 
because each of us will give an account of himself unto God. But let's consider the white throne judgment here. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whom the, the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them at all. You will not be able to hide from God. If you're without Christ, this white throne judgment is where you're going. It's the very place you're going. And God's not going to weigh your good against your bad and decide whether or not you're going to go to hell, to that lake of fire. No, what he's going to do is decide what your degree of punishment for eternity is in that lake of fire. So he goes on to say, And I saw the dead, great and uh, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Now notice he said books, plural. And another book was open, which is the book, singular, of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, plural, according to their works. Your entire life. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now let me tell you something here. Those books have every deed, every thought, every word, every intention of your heart, everything that you've done in this life. From the moment you're born to the moment you died, it's in there. You won't be able to say, I'm not guilty. Your name must be in the book of life. You know that book of life? The Lord talks about they that basically says it this way without word for word, but those that are saved, he will not blot out their name out of the book of life. And I think it's important that he says he will not blot out their name. You know why? I think the Lord gives you the benefit of the doubt when you're born. I think he put your name in the book of life. But if you die without Christ, that's the unpardonable sin because you can't get saved one second after death. And you're blotted out. Of the book of life. And how foolish are some people going to feel. When they stand at that white throne. And they have heard the gospel. They had a chance to be saved. But they were more worried about what people would think. Than they were the eternal punishment of the lake of fire. How foolish. How foolish that is. In Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, we find out something about that judgment. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whom, uh, for whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. In other words, you heard the way of salvation, you had an opportunity to be saved, and you passed it up. Hell is going to be worse for you than that 
guy that's selling drugs on the street and has never heard one time. You say, I don't believe that's fair. You're not the judge. God gave you an opportunity. No one shared the gospel with that guy. And you stand before God, doomed for that eternal lake of fire. Think of that in light of Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? Boy, that sounds great, doesn't it? Then he says, then what I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They were religious, but they were not saved. They thought they could work their way to heaven. They thought their religious works would make them acceptable to heaven. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. That's still true today. Revelation chapter 14, verse 10 and 11. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night. A lot of preachers out there are going to suffer if they're saved in this place. If they're, if they're not saved, they're going to suffer in this place. But if they're saved, they're going to see the blood dripping from their hands. They've said, oh, I don't think hell's a real literal lake of fire. There is no language there that shows that it is just symbolic. The lake of fire is forever and ever. And you'll never cease to exist. You'll have a living spirit. And it'll possess a body in the lake of fire that feels pain as a human body today would feel pain. But the difference is, is that body will not consume away that's in the lake of fire. Now that's not new. There was a burning bush that Moses saw that did not consume away. And God will place that person in that body that will not consume away. You see, the body that a man dies in now, that dies whether you're saved or unsaved, that's not the body that is in heaven right now or in hell right now. That, bo- that body's in a casket. Right now they're in a spiritual body. But the day comes that we are resurrected, our bodies are changed like into his glorious body. And will be forever with the Lord. But those without Christ. Their body will not be able to consume away. It will be the prison of their spirit. That feels the pain. As well as the torments and tortures of hell. And cannot escape. And it will be worse for some than it will be for others. But All of it will be bad. You've heard me say it many times. The worst place, the best place in hell will be a billion times worse than the lowest place in heaven. But the good news is, is that you can be saved from that today. The Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul, 
before his salvation, he was responsible for the death of men and women as they were being hauled off to prisons and beaten and, and Stephen stoned to death. He even had women beaten. That was all before his salvation. Mary Magdalene, she had seven devils. She was a witch. The woman at the well had, had five husbands and the man that she was living with was not her husband. Rahab was a harlot. The thief in the cross never got to do a good work, but he ended up getting saved just a short time before his death. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. That's sexual sin of any kind nor idolaters, those that worship idols, nor adulterers, those that cheat in marriage, nor effeminate, that's homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that is the sexual predator of all kinds of filthy rot and pornography, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, the revelers, the social drinking partying crowd, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. They were. They're not that anymore. Why? Because they are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but ye are washed. How are they washed? By the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing them of their sin. They're justified in Christ because he became sin for us who knew no sin. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the Lord. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, that is, not in any other besides Jesus, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, he says this, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men, Everywhere to repent. In other words, this salvation is for everybody. Not just to select few. It's for everybody. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance to all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. Testifying uh, both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance towards God, Almighty God, is the one that we have sinned against. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, whose perfect life was lived without sin. The virgin-born Jesus, he was born, died for us without ever sinning one time, became sin for us, but he never became a sinner. Our sin was placed upon him. He died there on the cross for your sin, for my sin. He was buried, and three days later, he rose up victorious over hell in the grave. And so his righteousness stands for me before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. And my friend, it's easy for you today to do the same thing. It's as easy as ABC. Let me give that to you real quickly. A, accept the fact that you're a sinner, that you do not deserve to go to heaven, that you can't be good enough to go to heaven, that you can't save yourself. If you don't accept that fact, and you never accept that fact in this life, 
you will not get saved and you'll be in the eternal lake of fire. Accept. Secondly, believe that Jesus was God in the flesh who came to this earth, fulfilled all the demands of righteousness in the law and was crucified on the cross and he died and he was buried and three days later he rose up from the dead. Believe that he did that and he did that for you for he said that if you had come to him he would in no wise cast you out. Therefore he did do it for you. He did as much for you as he's done for the Apostle Paul, John, or anybody else. He did it for you. And then call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means I have forgiveness, complete forgiveness of all my sin. Cleansed by the blood. And everlasting life in heaven. But I've got to come to him. Come to him. And him alone. As the God. As the Savior. As my Lord. And he'll save you. Let's bow our heads please.